everyone, and welcome to the October 28th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Skarin Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal allowed a school district to recover interest, but not attorney fees, from their JPA. Here's what happened in the unpublished case of Santa Ana versus Benefit and Liability Programs of California. In 1987, several Los Angeles County school districts entered into the Benefit and Liability Programs of California Joint Powers Agreement. This agreement was to establish, operate, and maintain the Workers' Compensation Insurance Program. In 2002, Inglewood Unified School District became a member. Then, in 2013, Inglewood provided written notice of its withdrawal from the membership. The authority and the interim state administrator of the school district signed a resolution regarding the district's withdrawal. In 2015, Inglewood then filed a lawsuit against the authority, alleging a variety of claims, including breach of contract based on the authority's failure to pay funds it claimed were owed to the district. In 2016, the authority paid $4 million to the district, pursuant to an interim agreement between the parties. The remaining balance of more than $2 million was the subject of this litigation. The school district was taken over under state control, and the state administrator, Melendez de Santa Ana, in her capacity as its trustee, filed the operative third amended complaint. The court found the district was entitled to more than $2,351,000 more dollars, plus interest on the retained funds, and the amount of $192,711. But the authority was not entitled to recover of attorney fees and costs incurred in the litigation. The trial court judgment was affirmed in the unpublished case of Santa Ana versus Benefit and Liability Programs of California. Although the authority had paid $4 million in 2016, a balance of more than $2 million remained outstanding. The court found that two years is not a reasonable time. Thus, the district was entitled to prejudgment interest on the withheld funds pursuant to California's Civil Code 3287. The court expressly found the authority was not entitled to its attorney fees under the agreement, bylaws, resolution, or the law and the Court of Appeal agreed with the trial court's interpretation of the resolution. Two Home Depot warehouse workers had an accident while driving vehicles called electric pallet jacks at the Home Depot's Mira Loma distribution warehouse. After a workplace accident and inspection, the Division of Occupational Safety and Health cited Home Depot for several violations of workplace safety standards. The investigator found that the industrial truck operators wore tennis-type shoes while they were operating industrial trucks. The division determined that Home Depot had violated regulations which requires appropriate foot protection for employees exposed to foot injuries. 
The division said that in this case, the word appropriate would be interpreted to mean steel-toed shoes. Home Depot challenged the citations. But the California Occupational Safety and Health Appeals Board affirmed the footwear citation. Because Home Depot employees were exposed to foot injuries when they manually lift heavy loads, and when they worked on foot or walked in close proximity to industrial trucks. They found Home Depot safety policies and prohibition on open-toed or open-heeled shoes did not adequately protect those employees. So Home Depot filed a petition for a writ of mandate asking the Superior Court to relieve them of the footwear citation. But the trial court declined. So Home Depot asked the Court of Appeal to make the same determination. However, the Court of De- Appeal affirmed the in the unpublished case of Home Depot USA versus California Occupational Safety and Health Appeals Board. Home Depot did not require their employees to wear protective shoes when they worked in the warehouse. Their policy required only that they wear closed-toed and closed heeled shoes. Home Depot said they do not require their warehouse employees to wear steel-toed boots or similar footwear because such footwear can cause ergonomic problems, tripping hazards, and fatigue, and they can be cumbersome, uncomfortable, and bulky. Amicus Curie filed briefs in the case They were the Retail Litigation Center Incorporated and also the National Federation of Independent Businesses. Both support Home Depot and both objected that the board's opinion articulates a uncertain standard. They claimed that if the decision stood, it would have far-reaching consequences for employees and a wide range of businesses including large retailers and small independent businesses that may have industrial trucks or pallet jacks in the facility, even though the majority of employees encounter them only rarely. However, the Court of Appeal concluded that there was substantial evidence supporting the board's determination that Home Depot employees were both actually exposed and realistically likely to be exposed to foot injuries. A violation of the safety order is not based on previous history of accidents or injuries resulting from the exposure, but rather on the existence of the danger which may cause the injury. The appeals court did, however, agree that the language in the board's opinion can be read to sweep too broadly, so it emphasized in the holding that it was limited to the facts and evidence of this particular case. And now our crime report. 62-year-old Rashad said the owner of a Campbell Vocational Training School has been charged in a kickback scheme. He was charged with illegally diverting more than $650,000 in workers' compensation insurance money without training injured students who were trying to get back to the workplace. Officials estimate that out of about 100 cases, only two of the students of Advanced Vocational Institute had taken some classes, and they were online with no live interaction. 
Mr. Said has been charged with 11 felony counts of workers' comp fraud and kickbacks to counselors who referred workers to his school. Prosecutors said he gave unwitting workers, many of them who spoke little English and did not understand the arrangement, cash amounts instead of any training. In fact, when an investigator searched the AVI offices on a weekday, it was closed and the computers were covered in dust. And there have been other SJDB fraud cases that have been reported recently in the news. Between 2015 and 2017, 42-year-old Salvador Franco Jr. of Downey and 45-year-old Mirella Flores of Paramount participated in an alleged SJDB fraud scheme involving their school, which was the Technical School Incorporated doing business as Technical College Incorporated and Graduates Do Succeed Institute doing business as GDS Institute. Both of them were operating in Southern California. Those two defendants entered no contest pleas to attempting to defraud multiple insurers of about $120,000. They had students sign over their supplemental job displacement vouchers and collected the money without providing any required vocational training. Dr. Venkat Achi is a physiatrist in San Jose and is affiliated with multiple hospitals in the area, including El Camino Hospital and Good Samaritan Hospital, San Jose. He operated a pain clinic in San Jose and maintained a DEA registration number authorizing him to prescribe controlled substances. He was just sentenced to 24 months in prison for health care fraud and for distributing hydrocodone outside the scope of his professional practice. Dr. Achi pleaded guilty to the charges last March. Achi wrote nearly 6,000 prescriptions for controlled substances over the course of just one year. The majority were for narcotics. Four undercover law enforcement agents posed as new patients. They visited him about four times each, and after each visit, they received a prescription for a Schedule II controlled substance with little to no physical examination. A federal grand jury indicted Achi in 2018, and he pleaded guilty to one count under each of two statutes. In addition to the prison term, Dr. Achi was ordered to serve three years of supervised release and to pay more than $82,000 in restitution. He will begin serving his sentence on January 22, 2020. 65-year-old Herbert Allen Kelly III of Rancho Murrieta is the owner of Kelly Roofing Company. He was arrested on six felony counts of workers' compensation fraud after allegedly underreporting his business payroll and the number of his employees. Back in 2015, a worker slipped and fell from a roof at one of his job sites, falling about 25 feet. A worker's compensation claim was opened with Kelly's insurer, the State Compensation Insurance Fund. To date, the state fund has paid more than $730,000 in medical and disability payments on that claim. During the state fund audit for the policy period 2015, when the accident occurred,
Kelly reported he had no employees. However, the state fund noted that Kelly Roofing Company had this workers' compensation claim in January of 2015. Mr. Kelly alleged he only paid the injured worker $500 for a single day of work and did not have any payroll records for him. But the Department of Insurance detectives served search warrants on both Kelly and Kelly Roofing Company's banking accounts, and they conducted an audit of his bank records. The detectives discovered about $89,000 in total audited payroll, with up to 15 possible employees. The department confirmed Kelly Roofing Company had employees during the period when Kelly claimed he had no employees and no payroll. The audited payroll was ultimately forwarded to the state fund, who determined that Kelly Roofing Company owed them about $50,000 in unpaid past premiums. And in medical news, a new research review reported by Reuters Health suggests that people with chronic back and neck pain who receive chiropractic care may be less likely to use opioid painkillers. The researchers examined data from six previously published smaller studies with a total of more than 62,000 participants with spinal pain and their findings were published in the journal Pain Medicine. People who saw a chiropractor were 64% less likely to use opioids than people who did not. Patients with spinal pain who visited a chiropractor may receive treatments such as spinal manipulation, massage, acupuncture, exercise, and education. These therapies may lead to decreased pain, improved range of motion, and increased function. If a patient's pain is well controlled by the treatment they receive from a chiropractor, the researchers say they may subsequently need less pain medications or even none at all. But it's not clear from this analysis whether people already using opioids to manage pain might be able to cut back or eliminate opioid use after getting chiropractic care. But in general, researchers concluded that patients wishing to avoid prescription medication, especially opioids, would do well to seek care from providers who can provide potentially helpful alternatives to opioid treatments. This could include chiropractors, physical therapists, massage therapists, pain psychologists, yoga instructors, and mindfulness-based stress reduction classes. The challenge is that some of these options are not always available or covered by insurance. Still, organizations such as the Veterans Health Administration and the American College of Physicians currently recommend that patients try conservative treatments commonly delivered by doctors of chiropractic instead of opioids. And the current study indicates that patients who follow these recommendations are, in fact, less likely to receive an opioid prescription. According to OSHA, musculoskeletal conditions are among the top expenses for employee health care benefits. They account for about a third of all workers' injury and illness cases. Healthcare costs are now projected to rise 4.9% in 2020. So many large companies are ready to try something new, 
Some plan to spend more up front to try to prevent higher costs later on. For conditions like chronic back pain, that means trying to prevent injuries or treat them with innovative physical therapy to avoid surgery and potentially opioid addictions. Some companies take a traditional proactive approach, like Rosen Hotels and Resorts, an Orlando-based chain. It has morning stretches for their hotel staff, a free gym, plus a full-scale primary care health clinic with a physical therapist and a chiropractor. Other companies are trying to appify their care delivery. Breakbush Brothers Incorporated, a chicken processor headquartered in Wisconsin, turned to a third-party provider, Solve Global. It evaluated frequent worker surveys about their pains down to a line level on a specific shift. One time, they solved a rash of low back pain problems by figuring out that workers were reaching too much at a specific spot. Another time, they could find no common source for random physical complaints from workers on a shift, but were able to identify that the problems were caused by work stress from a new supervisor. These efforts resulted in savings for the company of about $1 million this past year. Post Holdings Incorporated is using the service Hinge Health, which gives participants a tablet preloaded with exercise specific to their condition. So far, 15% of the 1,200 employees eligible for the pilot program are participating out of about 8,000 on the U.S. medical plan. And in regulatory news, California regulators are objecting to Berkshire Hathaway's sale of one of its smaller insurance companies, but they may not have much of an argument. Berkshire and Applied Underwriters announced that the $920 million sale to company founder Steve Menzies was completed after Texas regulators approved it. The California Department of Insurance reacted badly to the news and said that it was disturbed to learn that the parties to this transaction did not obtain their approval. Applied Underwriters has been under scrutiny lately over ties to campaign contributions executives reportedly made to the state's insurance commissioner. The California Department of Insurance then decided to send out a denial letter disapproving the sale transaction. The California Department of Insurance said it must sign off on the deal because one of applied subsidiaries, California Insurance Company, is domiciled in the state of California. The California Department of Insurance is seeking to block the move based on a section of the California Insurance Code. However, Applied Underwriter said that the California Insurance Company is now domiciled in New Mexico, which did sign off on the deal. And in other news, United Parcel Service Incorporated's new Flight Forward drone unit will soon start home prescription delivery from CVS Health. The service will debut in one or two U.S. cities in the coming weeks. This will show how the parcel delivery company plans to expand its upstart drone business beyond hospital campuses. 
The company Flight Forward will work with new customers in other industries to design additional solutions for a wide array of last-mile and urgent delivery challenges. This month, UPS won the government's first approval to operate a drone airline. Thus, leapfrogging rivals like Amazon.com and Alphabet incorporates, incorporates Wing and clearing the way for the expansion of their company, Flight Forward. UPS, which owns 251 jet aircraft and charters nearly 300 more, is building its Flight Forward business at a time when U.S. drone delivery is in its infancy. Regulations for operating those unmanned vehicles in U.S. airspace are not expected until 2021. Flight Forward and its partner Matternet also announced a deal to deliver biological samples and other cargo on University of Utah health hospital campuses. That will be similar to the service at North Carolina's WakeMed Hospital, where Flight Forward operates about 10 flights each day. Flight Forward has also signed a hospital campus deal with healthcare provider Kaiser Permanente. In addition, the company said pharmaceutical distributor Amerisource Bergen Corporation will use Flight Forward drones to move pharmaceuticals, supplies, and records to select U.S. medical campuses it serves. The UPS rival, FedEx Corporation, delivered a residential package last week to a home in Christiansburg, Virginia. This was part of a trial service with Alphabet's Wing Aviation. Brink News gathers timely perspectives from experts on risk and resilience around the world. This month, Brink News published a story about how workers' compensation is about to be transformed. Workers' compensation is the largest premium segment in the U.S. commercial insurance market. While some progress has been made in addressing expenses, the costs of administering the system are stubbornly high. Take California as an example, where it costs the system 54 cents to deliver $1 worth of benefits. In Medicare, by comparison, the overhead costs to deliver the same benefits are 2 cents per dollar delivered. A number of factors are now converging that will enable the insurance industry to reduce risk and transfer it more effectively. These factors will enable insurers to lessen earnings volatility and build deeper and more meaningful relationships with customers. Businesses will have a clearer picture of risks facing workers and the tools and capabilities of proactively taking mitigation actions. Several developments are driving these changes. In turn, this will impact how workers' compensation is bought, sold, and delivered. Investments in technology and operational efficiency improvements have largely focused on treatment and back-to-work programs after an injury has occurred. The industry has been stymied in its desire to prevent worker injuries by a lack of data and technology that would enable preemptive action. The market for workplace wearable technology is therefore undergoing rapid growth. And startups are targeting high loss areas, such as the more than 30% of injuries that are due to musculoskeletal disorders. 
Traditionally, workers' compensation insurance premiums are determined based on historical loss data. Emerging data sources will provide much deeper insight into predictors of risk and enable companies to proactively reduce risks with pinpoint accuracy. The results will be better alignment of risk and price, rewarding companies that leverage these technologies to sustain and improve safety culture. Brinks expects policies that provide premium credits to emerge first, similar to personal, auto, where telematics-based information on driving behavior is most developed. Moving toward a data-rich future is not without peril, however. A proliferation of vendors and standards, a vast number of new data sources, new artificial intelligence techniques, and connectivity options begin to describe the technical complexities. So that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for Workers' Compensation News on Amazon. Again, I'm Renee Fols with Floyd Scarin, Manukian Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.